You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, Romans chapter number 8. Let's look at verse number 31. Look what the Bible says. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The Apostle Paul is referencing all the information that he has just delivered in the first 30 verses of Romans chapter 8. He's telling these believers that would read this letter. Now, after you have read 30 verses of truth, 30 verses of promise, 30 verses of expectation of what God plans to do in your life and through your life, you weigh that and consider it with the circumstances that you're living in, the city that you're serving in. Now, what do you have to say about everything? After you consider what I've given to you, now how is your perspective on life? He's saying once you view your opposition through the lens of your promise, now what do you have to say about it? For a little while this evening, that's what I want to preach on, just for a little bit. What do you say about that? What do you say about that? Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight, please. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a statement made by a man. He was not a saved man, but here's what he said. For every complex problem, there's a simple solution, and it's always wrong. You already said, for every complex problem, there's always a simple solution, and it's always wrong. Now, obviously, that man had never read Romans chapter 8. And tonight, I want the Bible to reassure your heart that for every complex problem you might face in life, there, in fact, is a simple solution. God's people have always been in the minority. We've always been against the grain. We've always stood against the current. We've always been put at contrast with the multitude. In fact, the very moment you were saved, you were called out of the majority and placed in the minority. The attitude and the atmosphere that we see today that is so anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-church and anti-Christian is nothing new. In fact, it's always been that way. You can study history and search the scripture and you'll find that God's people have always been faced with horrible odds and mighty opposition and overwhelming difficulty. In fact, I'll say it like this. If you're much of a friend to Jesus, this world is not going to be a friend to you. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18, he said, if the world hates you, he said, don't be surprised. The world hated me long before it ever hated you. And God's people have often been outcasts and we've always been outnumbered here in this world. I think about Noah who lived in that generation and Noah was the only man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord because Noah was the only man that was living with God on his mind. He was outnumbered and outcast. I think about Daniel in Babylon. It was only Daniel that had enough backbone to pray even though it was against the law. But Daniel would rather lose his head than lose his conviction. And Daniel knelt down and prayed anyhow. He was outcast and he was outnumbered. I think about David on the battlefield. David didn't stand shoulder to shoulder with another soldier from his country because they were all cowards and cowering on the outside of the perimeter of the battlefield. But David stood and faced the giant. But he was 
was outcast and David was outnumbered. I think about Samson, just one man. Samson had to stand against the entire nation of the Philistines, but he stood, he was outcast, and he was outnumbered. And tonight, our heritage as Bible believers is not one of commendation or calm seas or of comfort in this world. Our history, if you study it out as Christians that believe the Bible, is a history of arenas, it's a history of prison cells, it's a history of persecution, and it's a history built on the the battlefield of this world. That's why Lester Roloff, who took a stand, used to sing the song and say, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. He said, if I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up because I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So run if you want to and run if you will, but I came here to stay. And you and I must understand that as Christians. We're not going to fit in down here and persecution and peril and pressure will often be our lot in life. In fact, you can read it in Hebrews 11. I'll turn there. In Hebrews 11, it talks about our forefathers and it says in verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So you see, God's people have always been sojourners just passing through. They've always been pilgrims pressing toward another country. They've always been sheep on guard against the wolves of this world. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy that in the last days, perilous times will come. The last days are characterized by perilous times. But can I say the very first second that you stepped out of the old life being lost and into the new life being saved, you stepped onto the battlefield of perilous times. And the closer we get to the church going up, the further the world's gonna go down and as the world goes deeper, deeper, and deeper down into depravity, there are going to be more and more anti-Christ and anti-church and anti-Christian. And with that in mind, I want to break down verse 31 and give you three questions to consider from this 31st verse. I said last Wednesday, Romans 8 is a chapter of exhortation, edification, and encouragement. And these verses are aimed at giving reassurance to the believer that has to live in a day where they're living against all odds. Now remember, the church in Rome is a starting church. It's a young church. So much so, I don't even know if they had a, an official pastor. They're a steadfast church. Their faith is known throughout the world. And I'm glad you don't have to be saved decades to have considerable faith. But most of all, this was a suffering church. This church is serving in the city of Rome. If you study history, you know that the Romans persecuted Christians. In fact, it was illegal after AD 64 to even be named a Christian in the city of Rome. I read today where they would take Christians and sew them up inside the carcass of a dead animal and then throw them 
into the arena and let wild beasts tear them apart. They'd sever their heads from their shoulders. They'd crucify them. Some say at a rate of 500 people a day in the Roman Empire, they'd crucify these people. So these believers are going to validate their faith with their blood. They're under pressure. They're hated and scorned. They're often in hiding. And without question, they're persecuted people. So Paul spends much of this chapter pinning truths to stir their faith and strengthen their hope. When you come down to verse 31, Paul reaches out and he grabs the previous 30 verses and he pulls them all together and he presents a statement to you and I for our consideration. Much of Romans, Paul is like a neurologist. He deals with the head. But in this verse, Paul is like a cardiologist, and he's dealing with the heart. He's not giving us a doctrinal truth. He's given us a devotional truth. I want you to see what it says again in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us. Here's what he's doing. He has presented the evidence. He's weighed all the facts. And now he makes his final argument. He's saying, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I want to look at this verse from the back to the front or from the bottom to the top. And there's three questions that we have to answer from verse 31. And can I say the way that we answer these questions will give us that faith and that hope that we can overcome in our day just like the Roman Christians could overcome in their day. Here's the three questions from the back to the front. Question number one, who can be against us? We've got to answer it. Question number two, is God for us. We got to answer it. Then number three, the question is now, what do you have to say about that? I want you to see the first question in reverse order. Here's what he asks, who can be against us? Now, I would say at first reading, those Roman Christians must have almost felt that Paul was mocking them to ask them such an audacious thing as who is against you. If anyone knew what it was to have mighty opposition and a long list of enemies, it, were those, it was those Christians that served in the city of Rome. I read an illustration about a man who turned 100 years old. And when he turned 100, he was interviewed. And the lady said, do you have any any enemies? He said, no, ma'am, I don't have any enemies in this world. She said, well, that's a beautiful thing. He said, it sure is. I have outlived every single one of them. Can I say that's just how it is in life? Winston Churchill said, you have enemies, good. That means you've stood for something at some point in your life. Ephesians 6 was given to us, not because everybody's going to be our fan, but because most of this crowd is going to be our enemy. And can you imagine in the city of Rome at their first reading of verse number 31, and it goes down and says, who can be against us? They must have thought, Paul, don't you know who you're writing to? Don't you? 
you know where we're serving at. We're not pinning our name in Bibles. We're not sitting in a plush pew someplace. We're hiding out in catacombs and caves. I mean, our heads are being severed from our shoulders. What do you mean? Our blood is standing in the streets of this city. Our families are being torn apart every day. We are tempted and tried on every side. They probably thought the world's against us, Paul. The world's against us politically. The world's against us socially. And the world's against us religiously. The government's against us. The Jews are against us. The culture of Rome is against us. The entire world is against us. Not only that, our flesh is against us. We're often scared. We're timid. We have great fear over what lies ahead. What do you mean? Who's against us? The devil's against us. We hear him roaring every day as he prowls up and down the streets of this town seeking whom he may devour. Paul, are you crazy? There's a whole list of people that are against us. I think about it, Noah. You say, Noah, who can be against us? He'd say, my entire generation is against me. Abel, who's against you? He'd say, my own brother is against me. David, who's against you? He'd say, Goliath is against me. Gideon, who's against you? He'd say, all of Midian is against me. Elijah, who's against you? He'd say, Hillary, or, <coughs> Jezebel is against me. Moses, who's against you? He'd say, Pharaoh is against me. Esther, who's against you? Haman is against me. Roman Christian, who's against you? Nero and everything and everyone, they're all against me. And we could say the same thing in our day. Who can be against you? Man, there's a lot of folks that are against us. The apostate that used to be what we are, they're against us. The backslider who's bitter at God, they're often against us. The carnal critic is against us. The devil is still against us. The educational system of our country is against us. You might have family that's against you. You might have friends that are against you. The government, by and large, is against us. Hollywood is against us. Your own health might be against you. The circumstances of life, the situations of life, the things happening in your life, they all might be against you. So the first question, who is against you? There's a long list of people that are against us. But the second question asks this, well, who's against you? We answered that. Who's for you? Is God for us? That'll make a Baptist shout on Wednesday night. Now, human tendency is to get tunnel vision and only focus on the negative, which might be microscopic, and to be totally blinded to the positive, which might be mammoth in your life. By that, I mean we often emphasize the bad and forget about the good. We get blinded to our blessing and have perfect vision on all the black clouds that hover over our head. And I think that's, I think that's why Paul, right in the heart of this encouraging verse, put this statement to resurrect the faith of these Roman Christians. He went there and said, who's against you? And they must have hung their head and shuffled their feet and thought, man, there's a list upon list of those who are against us. But then Paul said, call time out a minute, encourage yourself and remind yourself who is for you. He makes a case in verse 1 through verse number 30 that God is 
is on our side. Bob Jones Sr. said, it doesn't matter who's against you, you and God make a majority. It doesn't matter if it's Midian. It doesn't matter if it's the Philistines. It doesn't matter if it's Amalek and his army. If God is on your side, you got more than enough to win the day and get victory in the battle. If you, if you skim these first 30 verses, you'll find six big divisions that give six big blessings from God in the life of the believer. In verse 1 through 9 of the chapter, he talks about our acquittal. He said, there's now no condemnation. You say, who's against you? I got a long list, but I'll tell you who's for me. God's for me. You say, how do you know God's for me? Because he took the condemnation off of my life. I was lost, headed for hell. I had judgment on the horizon, but Jesus stepped in. He said, not guilty. He said, set him free. Thank God for his acquittal. Not only the acquittal, but I think about he promised an awakening in verse 10 and 11. He talks about the same spirit that raised up the Lord is going to raise us up as well. And I'm glad the grave is not the end for the Christian, but I'm glad rapture's on the way and resurrection's on the way. You say, who's against you? Long list, but God's for me. How do you know? My acquittal, my awakening. And then he gets in verse 12 through 16 and talks about our adoption. I didn't have any choice in the son I got. God gave him to me, and I'd have chosen him if I could have, but I didn't have any choice. But an adopted child is chosen. That's a lot of grace and a lot of mercy right there. When that couple goes to that orphanage and scans the crowd, and they look down and see that little boy or that little girl, and say, I tell you what, I want them most of all. And they reach down and pay the price and pull them out of that crowd and take them back to their house. They don't treat them like a pet. They don't treat them like some kind of off uh, outcast to their family. But they put them a place at the table. They give them their own bedroom. They've got legal standing as if they were their only child. Can I say that's what God did for us? Thank God he made us a son and redemption and placed us in the family at adoption. I have all the rights and privileges pertaining thereto. I've got an acquittal and awakening and adoption. Then he got down to verse 17 through 25. I've got an anticipation. He talks about the manifestation of the sons of God and five times in verse 24 and verse number uh, 25, he mentions the word hope. He calls our anticipation hope and he mentions hope five times. Number five is the number of grace in your Bible. Can I say our hope is anchored in the grace of God that one of these days the creation groans moment by moment waiting for the redemption to win, the redemption of our body and one of these days, thank God, the grace will open wide the dead in Christ shall rise and then one of these days after and one of these days down the road of eschatology there'll be a new heaven and a new earth I got something to look forward to that's better than dinner later tonight thank God I got an anticipation then I've got assurance in verse 26 and 27 you say what do you mean sometimes I pray and can't get the words out and sometimes I pray and I wonder if it got through so God, God gave me assurance. I've got assurance in the temple and assurance at the throne. In the temple, I got the Holy Spirit of God that takes my groanings and makes them known to the Father. And at the throne, I got a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes my prayers and presents them as my advocate to the heavenly Father. That means I can't pray, but what it gets answered, I can't pray, but what it gets heard, if it's groaning down here, in the 
the temple, the Holy Spirit utters it up to the throne. And at the throne, the Son takes it to the Father. You say, who's against you? I can't remember. I'll tell you who's for me. He gave me another promise, his authority in verse 28, because we know all things work together for good. Can you imagine how encouraging that would have been to those in Rome that were daily fighting against the opposition? And they read that verse and said, hey, listen, God's got it all under control. His hand is guiding your life. His light is directing your steps. He's the one directing you through this thing. God is in control. Let me say it again. If you look at your opposition through the lens of your promise, your opposition gets pretty small because the promise is so big. Now, I want to tell you, I said this wrong on purpose. Who's against you? That's not what the Bible says anyhow. It says who can be against you. It doesn't say who is against you because we could list that and take up the rest of the pages of Scripture if you just said who is against you. So he said who can be against you. What that means is who can prevail against you. You want to know what the answer is? Nobody. God's got a perfect record. God's never been in the loser's bracket. God's never lost a child. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a conflict. You say, who is against you? I got a long list, but who can be against me? Nobody. They can try, they can scheme, and they can fight, but they cannot win. Rally soldier. Rally around the banner. Ready, steady. Pass the word along. Christ is captain of the mighty throne. I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. When I discover that, God God is for me. He is my general. He is my captain. He is my shepherd. He is my savior. And he is my friend that robs the roar from the lion, that takes the sting from the serpent, that removes the gale from the storm, that lightens the load and shortens the night and elevates the valley. The world is against me, but it will not prevail. The devil is against me, but he will not prevail. The flesh is against me, but it will not prevail. Yes, Goliath is against David, but he did not prevail. Yes, Midian was against Gideon, but they did not prevail. Yes, Philistines were against Samson, but they did not prevail. You'll find out God is for you. God was for Hagar. God was for that widow woman in Zarephath. God was for Ruth and Naomi. God was for the leper. God was for the blind man. And I'm here to report tonight from heaven to your heart that God is for you. It doesn't matter who's against you. It doesn't matter who stands on the opposite side. If God be for us, who can? be against us the same God thank God he's mighty in our day as well so then I got one more question we got to go home number three now what do you have to say about that what do you mean I mean do you still think you better pout you still think we ought to quit you still feel like we're going to be defeated you still want to act pessimistic and fearful you're still going to hang your head down and say it's impossible? Let me ask you, what do you say about that person who's sick? Worried about your health? What do you say about that? God before you. Who can be against you? What do you have to say about that, young couple? Worried about the future? God before you, who can be against you? What do you have to say about that, young preachers? People saying it can't be done, you've got to change, whatever, you've missed your window... Oh, no, no, no. If God be for you, who can be against you? 
What do you have to say about that? You who are glued to your television and watch too much news so you're always negative and think God can't do anything. Hello. You say, you worried about Russia invading Ukraine? No. You say, why? Because my captain invaded hell a long time ago and got me victory on that day. I'm a winner either way if I go or if I stay. What do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about that? You have a financial problem in your life. If God be for you, who can be against you? Sometimes we get so negative. Isn't it? I don't know if it's human tendency. I don't know if it's because of social media, but we like dirty laundry and negativity. I hate that. I'm depressed enough as it is trying to be a Baptist preacher, a pastor, than for you to give me more negativity. I get out of bed depressed. I told our Sunday school class, you probably go throughout the whole week not thinking about me, but I promise I don't go one day without thinking about you. And Brother Manuel, it's rarely good thoughts. I'm kidding, it is, brother. But you get tunnel vision and magnify the negative. Here's what I said at the beginning, and I'll close. For every complex problem, there's a simple solution. The man said, the lost man said, and it's always wrong. What an idiot. For every complex problem, there is always a simple solution, and it's this. If God be for us, who can be against us? So here's what I just believe. We'll just keep on going with God. Just keep preaching and singing and praying and loving and serving. and I've got a lot to look forward to. No condemnation, groanings. I've got a representative at the throne. Yeah, he's on our side tonight. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.